All right, so if you have the sheet from last week, we uh, left off in the part where we were talking about the effects of demonization, the, the many different effects that there are. And we covered the first three of the eight that I have listed there. The first three being uh, self-harm, physical infirmities, and speaking through the person or having a split personality. All right, so we looked at uh, biblical examples of those from Matthew 17 and Mark 9, Matthew 12, Luke 4. Uh, now we're going to look at five more examples of demonization in the New Testament, and um, then we'll talk about how we see it today also. But one of the uh, things that we see as an effect of being demonized, or as some might say, demon-possessed, is practicing secret or, or magic arts. Secret arts or magic arts. We looked at this earlier in our series back in the book of Exodus, where you had uh, some of the pagan people who were able to imitate uh, some of the miracles that were being done through Moses and Aaron. And it says specifically that they were able to imitate them through their secret arts, which is just kind of bizarre, right? I mean, how do you make magical things happen like they were doing? Um, it was through dark arts, secret arts, some kind of uh, magical thing empowered by the supernatural realm. But that's not the only place we have an example of that. Let's go to Acts 8 together, Acts chapter 8, and we'll see something similar. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 12, describe some magic dark arts that are being performed uh, by those who don't know God, and they're being done with a power other than God. So would someone please read for us uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 12. Joseph, thank you. There was a man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city, and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be some, someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention, because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, all right, so uh, magic, magic arts. Um, you have this interesting story with Simon, and you can keep obviously reading through if you've not read that story before and um, find out some other stuff about Simon. But uh, there are different things people can engage in that would qualify as dark, supernatural, magical type arts. And there are things that can be done by those types of people that are empowered not through God, but through uh, uh, demons, okay? And uh, they're basically, when you're dabbling in that realm, you're opening yourself up to other spirits other than the Spirit of God. And uh, there's an example of that in Scripture. Uh, let me give you uh, the other four, and then at the end I'll pause there and we'll discuss some of these things. Staying in the book of Acts, let's just turn forward to Acts 16, where we see fortune-telling or even prophecy being a part of demonization. Uh, know that not all prophecy is godly. Okay? Uh, you can think at a, in a really basic way, you can think of Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says, not all those who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day they will say, did we not perform miracles in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. How, how do you perform miracles, cast out demons, or prophesy apart from the power of the Lord Jesus. Well, 
Just as there are genuine versions of those things, there are counterfeit versions of those things. And you have uh, demons working through people to show them some signs to hook them. Okay? And that's what, a little bit of what we have going on in Acts 16, verses 16 to 18. It's a story we've looked at before in this class, but would someone read those verses? Rex, thank you. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by force and telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and shot her. Oh, sorry. <laughs> was he also a cop in Richfield? <laughs> I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out at that very moment. All right. So um, going back to verse 16, Acts 16, 16, what she was doing was called fortune-telling. And we've talked about in this class how that might work where demons never die. They were created way back when. They've been around a long time. They are invisible unless they manifest themselves in some way. They see things. They learn. They are persons. Okay? They have the ability to learn. They have intelligence. And they can communicate. So you put all those things together, and you can see how it would actually be pretty simple to convince we humans, who are less than the angels right now, we are under the angels right now, uh, lower is the New Testament word. How it would be easy to convince us that they're actually like prophesying or telling fortunes, okay? Let's go to Acts 19, a page or two over in your Bible, Acts chapter 19. Another element of demonization is having abnormal physical strength. Now, we've seen this in, uh, earlier in the Gospels with Legion. They were trying to bind up Legion, and he would break the bonds that they would put him in, just crazy stuff that you wouldn't typically see from a human being, uh, he was able to do through this demonization. Well, here in Acts 19, starting at verse 11, you see that there are uh, these seven sons of Sceva. Verse 14 is where they're mentioned there. And they had some abnormal strength. It says in verse 15 that there was an evil spirit answering them saying, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So abnormal strength, abnormal physical strength could subdue all of them. Now, it's also interesting going back to the secret arts or the magic arts. We've looked at this uh, before, too. But look at verse 18. Where after this event, it says that there were many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So um, you see magic showing up again related to demons having an influence on the culture. Okay, a couple of more. A couple more. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2. Let's turn forward in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians 2. We see that another aspect of demonization is influence, particularly influence on world rulers, those with authority and influence over people in society. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 to 12, 
we'll see this applied specifically to the coming Antichrist. Who would read 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 12? Who's got that? Mike, thank you. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring it to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception and wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. All right, so this man of lawlessness, if you look at verse 9, the man of lawlessness, his coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. His appearance, his uh, uh, position that he will have will be through the activity of Satan. Satan's going to be allowed to move some chess pieces around and set this up and bring forth this man of lawlessness. And we see not only here, but in other places in the Bible, particularly the book of Daniel, that demons have influence when it comes to nations and decisions made by nations, kings and world rulers. I think uh, angels and demons both are particularly interested in being involved with national affairs. Uh, I think that's consistent when you look through Scripture. In fact, angels will be used in the very end uh, to pour out God's judgments on the face of the earth. I shouldn't say very end, but future from our perspective. Um, they're going to be used to judge the peoples of the earth, and that's going to involve nations, and uh, they're involved in that way. But it isn't just rulers. I wish I wouldn't have put it that way in your notes. It's not just world rulers, but you can really add to that that demons can influence all kinds of people. They can, they can influence anybody. Uh, demonization, of course, is something that can happen to at least any non-believer. We're going to talk about believers here momentarily. But uh, this influencing... Uh, of people can happen at any level. It could happen to the janitor as much as it happens to the president. You know, it's not like um, it's just those at the top, though I think there's a particular focus that demons might have in influencing those at the top because you, you catch one of them, you catch a whole lot of people, right? And so uh, it makes mathematical sense there. But I do want to add uh, a couple of passages that you can just jot down. You've got John chapter 13, uh, verses 21 to 30. John 13, 21 to 30, where Satan had filled Judas, we read about in that passage. Okay, um, Satan filled Judas. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Satan filled Ananias' heart. Acts 5, 3, Peter says, why, have, why has Satan filled your heart? Okay. And so uh, this whole influencing from the heart, influencing thoughts, is something that doesn't just happen for rulers, but anybody who is demonized is, of course, subjected to that. Now, I do want to mention that I don't think that's ever to the exclusion of that person's moral accountability. So, if in, for instance, with uh, Ananias, he was obviously still held accountable, even though Satan had filled his heart. There was immediate discipline that happened in his life, wasn't there? Immediately. There was no, Satan made me do it, I didn't do it. 
<laughs> okay? He still dropped dead, and so did his wife. And so it's not to the exclusion of moral accountability. It's a both-and thing, not an either-or thing. It's not, are you morally accountable, or was it a demon? It's both. Uh, in a lot of cases, when a demon is involved, it's always going to be both. Um, so I have this up here on the board on this point, and we're going to come back to this later in the lesson tonight too. But um, I don't know. I was just trying to visualize things a little bit. If you're thinking about the human constitution, uh, as Christians, we don't believe we're just atoms, right? We don't believe we're just skin, bone, blood, uh, sacks of water or whatever. That's not what we are. Um, we are much more complex than that. We've been made in God's image. And we have what the Bible calls, I think these terms are all pretty well interchangeable. We have a mind, a heart, a soul, a spirit. We have an immaterial aspect of who we are, don't we? And you could say that's the innermost being. Scripture talks about the innermost being. And that would have to be what that is uh, as we look at it through Christian theological lenses. Well, um, <clears throat> as you move out from our moral center, we have chemistry that goes on in the brain. We have our senses. We perceive things through our senses. And then, of course, there's everything that's external for us. And when it comes to demonization, the question becomes, how, how into a person's life can a demon go? Uh, when you read about Legion, and he had all these demons in him, we are many. Where were they? Yeah, that's hard to answer, isn't it? And Ultimately, we can't arrive at an exact answer. But I think we can say when there's stuff being presented in Scripture like Satan is filling his heart, we could say that Satan is getting quite a bit of control, all right? Um, or one of his servants is getting quite a bit of control. And I don't think it's always the same. I think uh, there are a lot of times, that the vast, vast, vast majority of times when we are affected by demons, it's just externally. Something going on externally, something that they're doing out there that we are just in a chain of events where it's affecting us. But when someone is demon-possessed or demonized, I think there's, there's a degree to which a person can be demonized. And I do think it does matter if you're a believer or not, which we'll get into. But uh, this is something to start, start thinking about. And, of course, the deeper you go into uh, a person, the more control you have from a demon's perspective. If you're just playing with their senses, their sight and their hearing... Well, you can affect them for sure, but that's not the same as filling that person's heart or having control from the inside of that person, like we see with Judas, for example. And so there's more control, uh, the more into the mind, heart, moral center area a demon goes. So on the one hand, we could be talking about something that's uh, physical or psychological, but on the other hand, it seems like a full demon possession um, as maybe we would typically think of it, is a totally spiritual event where all the boxes are checked and you've got one spirit, a demon, who is doing something to your spirit as a human being. So um, that's maybe a, maybe a helpful way to start visualizing that, thinking through that. But one more thing I want to show you when it comes to demonization, and then I'll stop for some questions, is in Revelation 13, where it's not just uh, influence, it's not just uh, you know, giving someone abnormal strength or something like that. But a demon can actually work through a person in such a way as to perform counterfeit miracles. Um, I say counterfeit 
because this isn't God working the miracle, but these are some pretty dramatic signs that will be displayed uh, by the Antichrist and his ilk. Revelation 13, starting in verse 11. Someone want to read 11 to 15? Revelation 13, 11 to 15. Who can read that for us? Who's got it? Oh, three at once. Logan. All right. 11 to 15. 15. Yes, sir. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. All right. A lot going on there. So you've got the beast or the Antichrist in this scenario, and then you've got, like, the vice Antichrist. Okay? Um, and this second beast is performing great signs. Verse 13 he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. So counterfeit miracles here isn't like at your local fair or something where, you know, you go into the booth and they're doing the goofy stuff, you know, and they're using glue and tape to fool you. It's not that kind of thing. This is like everyone's seeing it. There's fire coming down from heaven. What on earth? And uh, now we don't know the means by which that will be accomplished exactly, uh, but it's going to be pretty dramatic. It's going to be pretty convincing to a lot of people. And um, it's going to be a pretty dramatic day. But this is the result of demonization. And it's a, it's a counterfeit miracle because it's not by God. But it's going to be, uh, like I said, pretty, pretty convincing. All right. So I'll pause here for some thoughts and uh, questions. Melissa. I have an underline in verse 14. Um, the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast. The New American Standard Better Bible says the, uh, <laughs> the signs which it was given to him to perform. Okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Always good to look at every word, right? And to practice good hermeneutics. Other thoughts, questions on what we've talked about so far this evening? I'm going to give you a short window because I've got a lot. All right. Next thing. Um, as we think about today, these are examples that we're seeing in the New Testament here of demonization. As we think about today, um, of course, we're not seeing all these things in the same way today as they were then, um, especially because there was more of it going on than it seems. A higher uh, percentage of supernatural, I should say clearly supernatural encounters. Now, I, I'm not in any way suggesting that the amount of supernatural activity has gone down. But the types of encounters that they were having there, I don't suppose that you've had maybe ever. Would I be accurate in saying that? Probably. Okay. Um, close to accurate. Uh, at least not at the clip that they were seeing, the frequency they were seeing. it. But we know, of course, that demons are at work today. And we know there's the activity of Satan taking place on the face of the earth. Um, Andy? I have a really specific 
specific question. I'm sorry to interrupt. Okay. But um, I went to a really sketchy part of Phoenix, and there was a person there that was whacked out on drugs. It was actually to see Jeremy at the hospital. Do, do you think that um, drug abuse and drug addiction can expose a person to demonic influence? Yes, and we will be getting to that, I think, tonight. It's right on the border of if we're going to be there tonight or not. But yes, we're going to get to that. Um, so as we do think about demonization today, that is a, a decent place to start, right? Where um, people uh, who lose control of themselves open themselves up to other stuff. We just talked about this in my Sunday school class on Sunday, where we are commanded as Christians to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5. And what is the negative command that's right next to that one? Do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Well, what's the connection between those two things? Well, one is you're giving over your control. You're using a substance to lose control of your own body. The other one is you are intentionally, willfully putting yourself under the control of God, the sovereignty, the authority of God the Spirit, and you're being led by Him. Well, you can substitute, of course, drugs in for alcohol in the Bible. That's fair to do, okay? So do not be high with shrooms, you could say, but be filled with the Spirit. I think that would be a very relevant application in our day and age. And so, uh, yes, uh, that's one way that people open themselves up. There are, of course, occult practices that still exist um, in a variety of forms. If you wanted to dabble in the occult, there are different ways to do that today, and I trust no one in here wants to do that. Uh, but people... Even in false religions, you can encounter all kinds of occultic practices, not just little one-off things like a guy in a back alley here and there, but like full organized religions will lead you right in to those kinds of practices, even under the guise of Jesus' name. We know that Antichrist is coming, but even now the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well in the earth. First John talks about this. And we're surrounded by lies. Demons use lies. The spirit of Antichrist is at work, lying and deceiving and blinding people all around us all the time. And it's entirely possible that we are surrounded by many demonized people day in and day out, even though we don't fully realize it. I mean, it's kind of like a fish doesn't recognize it's wet, right? That's all it knows uh, until, you know, Rex pulls it out of the water. And then it knows it was wet. Um, <laughs> it knows it's going into a tummy, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Well, it's, I think, a lot like that in this fallen world. It's all we've ever known is a fallen world ruled by the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and it's been that way since the day you were born. And so we're used to a lot of things. We, that's just how, we're, how we are in this fallen planet. We're used to it. Uh, but the more and more we grow spiritually, the more and more we, we mature spiritually, the more and more we get discerning, the more, I think, we'll be able to see the lies of the evil one and be more sensitive to the activity of demons. Okay? Sure. There is a satanic church, too. Yeah, yes, right. Yeah, for those who, who don't even want to deceive themselves but want to know full well what they're doing, yeah, there's the church of Satan. And, uh, yeah, there's some pretty sick and twisted stuff out there, for sure. Okay? All right, well, let's talk about with believers. Okay, so if you have the half sheet for tonight, we will transition to that part now. We've been talking about demons with 
unbelievers. That was our little survey there in the New Testament of demonization amongst unbelievers. But now let's talk about the tactics of demons and the abilities of demons with believers, Christians. Did you know, Christian, that you are commanded to be alert at all times? It's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Your shift is never over when it comes to watching and being alert. Um, the closest you get to it is sleeping. Uh, yeah, that's right. You just, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. You got to uh, start your sleep with prayer and end your sleep with prayer. Start your day with prayer, end your day with prayer. We just got to be uh, ready. And when it comes to being alert, this command that we get over and over again, in the, especially the New Testament, um, I can at least speak for myself that I rarely consider it as deeply as I should, and I haven't spent a lot of time defining that as I should. You say, be alert. Well, we know what that means generally, like, hey, heads up. But when God's telling us to be alert, he's talking about in the spiritual realm, isn't he? So you've got to work at defining that a bit. So there are three passages I want to show you. One's in Mark 13, where Jesus says in this short stretch of verses here, and he says three times, maybe four, to be alert. Mark chapter 13, verses 33 to 37. Would someone read those verses for us? Mark 13, 33 to 37. Hayden, thank you. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to you all, be on the alert. All right. Three commands, be alert, in those five verses. Now, he's talking here about being alert while we're waiting for his return. You catch that? We're waiting for Jesus to come back. And so his words to his disciples there still apply to us today, don't they? We're waiting for him to return. We are to be on the alert as we wait for him. Now, that's kind of interesting to think about. Now, of course, um, th there are some people out there who take this kind of mentality a bit too far, so far that they try to predict the date he's going to come back. I don't think that's what Jesus intended us to get from this passage, especially since he said, no man knows the day or the hour. I don't think he meant, at this time, no man knows the day or the hour, but give it 2,000 years and then they'll know the day or the hour. I don't think that's it. Um, so that's going too far. And you can approach that level of too far in some other ways too, just by being all consumed with happenings in the world that you're saying, it's got to it's gotta be happening now because of this, that, and the other thing. And you know, you're making that map like uh, crime detectives does, you know, strings attaching everything and say, it's happening soon. Okay. Um, so you don't want to go crazy with this. But on the other hand, I would say what's much more popular, what happens much more often is the other ditch. And it is a ditch of just pretending like he's not going to come back in our lifetime. We have our, our like chart of what's going on in the world and the end time stuff, and we've got return of Christ, and we think, well, that's not for us. Uh, yeah, it should be in your mind that he could come back in the next 10 minutes. You, you want to live your life like he could come back in the next 10 minutes. I think that's what it means to be on the alert. 
live your life like with your next breath, he's coming back. You see how urgent that makes, makes you feel? Like there's stuff we got to do. We got to get it done because he's coming back. It's very important. You've got to be ready because you can't get ready. Yeah. When that time comes, you have, oh, give me five more seconds and I'll be ready. You know, when it comes, it's all. Yes, that's it. Absolutely. And so as those who have believed in the truth, how much more imperative is it on us to say, yeah, this is what we believe. He's coming back imminently, meaning there's no sign that has to precede his coming. How much more should we be living like we believe that? We say we believe it. Now let's live like we believe it. Okay? Um, and that is one of the biggest dangers or pitfalls of the post-millennial view that's becoming more and more popular right now. Po post-millennialism, which teaches uh, that the world will get better and better leading up to the coming of Christ. The world will get Christianized, and then Jesus will come back and inherit the Christianized world. Well, what does that do with the imminency of the second coming? It's, it's gone. Until the world becomes Christianized, Jesus can't come back. That's a pretty different worldview, isn't it? I mean, the, the, many of them are our brothers and sisters in the Lord, but that's a very different way of looking at the world. And um, it's not uncommon for many of them to say that we are still in the early church, meaning that, okay, it's been 2,000 years, it's probably going to be another 4,000 before Jesus comes. I don't think Jesus wants us to have that mindset. I think that does direct damage to be on the alert. I really do. Another passage to show you is in 1 Thessalonians. Let's go there. 1 Thessalonians 5, similar to Mark 13 as far as the second coming is in view. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Can someone read those 11 verses for us? 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11. Now, one of those rices was going to read. Thanks. Go ahead. <laughs> now, as to the times and the Yes. Brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just at, like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light, sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Very good. All right. So here he ties our alertness to being set apart in the world. You are not of the night that Jesus' day, the second coming, would overtake you. You're, you're in the light. You're not in the dark on these things. You're in the light on these things. And you're in the light, meaning you are to walk in holiness and purity. 
and you are to live as though your master is returning at any moment. So our view of Jesus coming back directly relates to our call to be alert, to be alert in the world, knowing that he can come back at any time, not to overtake us because we're not destined for wrath, we're destined for salvation. But he's coming back at any time, and therefore we are to be alert or sober, it says. We are to be sober, spiritually sober. What does that mean, to be spiritually sober? What do you think? Okay, yeah, it starts with our doctrine for sure. Good. It means being discerning. Mm-hmm. We need to not be sidetracked by popular teachers that are teaching mm-hmm. crazy wild stuff. Yes, we see in Scripture several examples of, <clears throat> well, I shouldn't say several, at least a couple, of uh, how easy it is to lead someone astray when that person is drunk, right? Um, think of uh, certain people in the book of Genesis and how they went astray when they were drunk. Okay. You are not to be drunk, but you be sober and discerning and not led astray into various things in this world that are uh, either started by demons or otherwise just sinners. Okay, One more passage in the New Testament. Oh, Jim, go ahead. Let's go to 1 Peter 5 while Jim talks. Okay. Yes. Yeah. We act sometimes like, just like this talking, you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, someday in somebody's future, but not mine. And to be sober-minded is to realize it might be today. Yeah. Yeah, adding the the thought about seriousness is good. um, There are so many Christians today, or people at least who call themselves Christians, who are just silly. Silly. And uh, and not set apart. Not... um, not bringing the Lord's will to bear on their lives and different decisions that they're making. And uh, whole churches are just goofy. Not serious. Immaturity. A lot of immaturity. Linda? Well, I was just looking at verse 3, and it says, when people are saying everything is so peaceful yes. and secure, then destruction comes. So hmm. that's probably where they got that. Yes. Um, yes, peace and safety. Yeah, everything's great. Yeah, oh man. Um, then it'll be birth pangs. And it's not a scheduled C-section either. It's like uh, labor as a surprise. All right, 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 11. One more passage about being alert. Um, who can read that for us? 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Brandon. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion 
forever and ever. Amen. Oh, what a passage. That's a good one. Well, verse 8, hone in on verse 8. Here's our commission. Be on the alert. And look at what directly follows that. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So here the apostle Peter directly ties our alertness with the activity of Satan and the activity of the demonic realm, you could say. So uh, we are to be alert because of this relationship we have with Satan, who is, what's he titled there in verse 8? He's our what? Adversary. Adversary. What does that mean? Enemy. Enemy. Yeah, the guy who's like set against you. That's our relationship with them. And he's got guns. He's got cannons aimed at you. Fiery darts of the evil one being launched at you. And so you are to be alert. That shield of faith is to be held up and not dropped, not neglected. Oh, I can't find my shield of faith. Okay? We're to be alert. You got to know where your equipment is for this armor. And you are engaged in a battle whether or not you like it, whether or not you realize it, whether or not you're acknowledging it, you're in this battle. And so you are to be on the alert. And what Peter's doing here beyond those things is also just indicating that we can be directly impacted by the devil and his demons. We, as Christians, when you get saved, you don't get this protective force field around you so that a demon can't affect you. Satan can still affect you. His demons can still affect you. Now, the question is, of course, to what degree? What does that mean? Going back to this concept here, is it merely external or does it go deeper? And if it goes deeper, how much deeper does it go? Um, there, there are good Christians who disagree on this. There are Christians who, out there who will say, 100% Christians cannot be demon-possessed, demonized, period. Then there will be Christians who will say, yeah, Christians can be demonized just as much as an unbeliever. When it comes to that, there's really no difference. They can welcome them in just like an unbeliever can and feel the effects of that just as deeply. And then there are views that try to be in between. And you can imagine it's pretty difficult to articulate in between stuff. Tyler, that video here in just a minute, we'll play that. Um, it, it's really, really tough because like even this, when I was making this earlier today, you know, I've got between external and moral center, it's like, what do you put there? So I, I threw in our senses and brain chemistry. I mean, you could definitely articulate this different ways. But we know that there's something in between our innermost being and our outermost being. There's something in between. And, and it's just difficult. And you're, you're never going to fully, completely, confidently settle on this. But you, you would do really well to think through it a bit. Okay? Um, and here are some things to consider. <clears throat> uh, Fred Dickinson, who wrote that book, on angels that I've talked about multiple times. He says that, uh, of course, we don't build doctrine on experience, but where the word is silent, we do have to be guided by experience to some degree. So on this subject, how much can a demon overtake a believer? The word is silent. That's how much. Okay? We don't get anything clearly spelled out for us. Um, but we have experience that is our guide, and you have to be very careful with this. This means it's not going to be a primary doctrine for you, okay, because the Word of God isn't backing you up. It's just your experience. You can land somewhere based on that. Uh, missionaries, of course, often have stories about this kind of stuff, and they can 
you know, rely on their experience with that. Um, but there are also some guys who are theologians who have had some interesting experience who seek to explain these things. And one of my favorite theologians, he's passed away now, is uh, Robert Saucy. And in this video, he was teaching at uh, Biola, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. And I don't know how old he was in this. He, and, and when he died, he died in a car accident. He was in good health all the way up till the end. But um, here he, he does a, an honest work of trying to explain this from his perspective. Um, Robert Saucy is really good with pretty much anything he's ever written. I would recommend that you read it. Um, but I'll let him take the floor here for, let's see, about three and a half minutes, and then we'll come back and chat about it. God. Let me just explain what I understand, at least. I do not think that the demon comes into a believer and dwells in the same place where the Holy Spirit does. In other words, I don't think that the demon dwells in the heart, like the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in our heart. And I, I think what... Uh, Dalich in his System of Biblical Psychology. He talks about the demon coming in and, and blocking the soul or the, you know, the spirit intervening between the chemical and, and uh, electrical system that we have that functions and blocking the spirit from utilizing that and the demon coming in and utilizing, making the person think and do what the demon wants to do. So that it's an intervention of the demon, not at the core of the heart, but between the heart or the spirit that, that uh, environment, you know, makes everything alive. And, and taking that over, taking over the electrical chemical system of our body and our mind. So uh, the question is, is, is that true? Can a demon do that? And I think there's a lot of evidence that they can. Most people would acknowledge that a demon can plant thoughts in your mind. And I'm not sure how they can do that without coming in. You see what I mean? You all of a sudden have a thought that, say, would be demonic. Uh, they must come in and do something in the mind for that thought to arise right away. You know, if you say that the demon can't dwell where the Holy Spirit does, the question is, where is your spirit in relationship to the Holy Spirit? And that has to be very close, because actually he would be indwelling your, Holy, your spirit. And your spirit is sinful at times. So it's true what you're saying. I don't know that you can argue that where the Holy Spirit is, that the a demon cannot be there at all. So either way, it, it doesn't. But by the way, possession, and I think you recognize that, possession is not a good word because it can sound like ownership. And we are, as Christians, we are owned by God, not by a demon. So it really means, and the word doesn't, no, no place in the Bible does it use a word really possess in the sense of ownership. It just talks about being demonized. Uh, any other thoughts or questions? Uh, it, that's one thing I think in the Western church we don't talk about at all. But I would simply say from the experience of Freedom in Christ Ministries, <coughs> we should be talking about it more. There are people 
well, some people think you can't, a demon comes and takes over your body. Well, does alcohol come and take over your brain? You see, a Christian can do things that essentially they give themselves over to something that takes over, whether it's a demon, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol. Sometimes you really kind of lose yourself and are taken over by some, some other power, so to speak. All right, yes, I know it was, a little, it was a little hard to hear. Older guy, losing his diaphragm abilities there at that point, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's hard to think through. It's hard to, hard to land in a place um, that makes you feel comfortable, like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how that works. On this issue, it's hard. Um, but I think, you know, he's, he's touching on some important stuff there that helps us think through this, that... You, just because we're Christians, that doesn't mean we can't open ourselves up to being deeply influenced by certain things. However you want to articulate that, um, just like we can be affected by all sorts of sinful things out there in the world, we can be affected by demons pretty deeply. Andy. So, in Scripture, I think Jesus talks about specifically the strong man yeah. being in the house, right? And how can the thief break in? when the strong man is guarding the house, right? Um, I think that the fundamental issue for us as, as God's people is this is entirely invisible. Yes. We don't see it with our eyes. We can see the effects of it with our eyes. We can see sin. We can see what happens when People do wicked, evil things. Uh, and some of them are attractive to our own personal predilections, our own flesh, right? Um, I, I mean, when you talk about that scale that no Christians cannot be demon possessed, that's kind of where I go. But on the flip side of that, I. You know, I've personally experienced things that I think very clearly were de demonic. Is there oppression, possession, And if we know you can be either filled with the Spirit or not filled with the Spirit. So if we're talking about the Spirit being the strong man and you're not filled with him, what does that mean? Um, if we're talking about the house, the strong man filling the house, is that this level, this level, this level, what's the level that... The house is right um well i think yeah. on your scale there as you get further out you're talking about the flesh yeah right and as you get further in you're talking about the spirit and that i that is inherent in christianity is that battle inside of yourself no de demonic influence influence needed at all that battle goes on um yeah i and your sinful spirit is still able to dwell the ha and dwell the house. Well, if you can look at Job, is kind of what I do for this instance. Yeah, his was yeah, totally his external. Was totally external. But then you could also look at Judas for this instance. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I yeah, yeah, <laughs> make right. up my mind for me. Yeah, Scripture gives us all kinds of examples. <clears throat> yeah. Other thoughts, questions on this Judas point here? Brandon. Was Ananias? 
So when somebody's <laughs> becoming or is a believer, you think someone that lived a different life before mm -hmm. or it wasn't a believer, you think that the evil spirit, the wickedness tries even harder for them mm -hmm. because they're like right there at the brink or like some, you know. Yeah. Um, are they still trying to keep a hold or? I, I've. No, well, um, yeah, de demons certainly try. I mean, so First Peter 5, what, what you read for us earlier, Satan is looking to devour. And that's written to Christians. So um, that is their focus. And I've become more deeply convinced than ever, uh, this, this year especially, new believers need our prayers so desperately, especially in a place like this, where so many are coming out of a religion that is frankly demonic, activity that is demonic. Um, there have been thoughts and uh, a worldview planted into people that is under Satan's control. And when they now come and have a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, yes, God is sovereign over all of that and he will see his people through. But we have our adversary who's prowling around and we must pray that we're going to use a lion example that these zebras don't leave the herd that these zebras aren't you know taken out by the lion and so yeah i think they're number one targets because they are so vulnerable absolutely jim well we know that a lot of the time we're led astray by the lust of the flesh yep Desires are, you know, I mean, they, I, I kind of, I don't know, I, I just kind of think they keep track. <laughs> I say, hey, did you see Jim that time? You know, he was really attracted to this problem. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think they use that. I, and so I think sometimes it's a yeah. combination. Our weakness, our, the lust of our flesh, and they'll bring that temptation before us <clears throat> to try to persuade us to do what they want. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they observe and learn, and yeah, they can keep records in whatever demon way they do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know what's interesting? It, like Andy was just saying, how this is an invisible thing we're dealing with. That makes it obviously really tough for us um, who aren't invisible to see what's going on. And yes, we are led astray by our various lusts and passions. Scripture talks about that. But we don't have God's certainty when we're being affected by a demon either. It would be easy just to say, well, that's, that's just myself. That's really tough. Um, and at the end of the day, does it super matter? Well, I mean, either way, the answer is going to be the same, right? Uh, that you are to bring the gospel to bear on that, bring the word of God to bear, and correct whatever's wrong. But, yeah, we are, we're playing with some deficiencies, but we have the ultimate trump card, the power of God. Uh, so regardless of what the cause is, we have the power to, to overcome it. Tyler, then Pamela. Yeah, just to speak to Brad's question for a second, I think automatically that verse in that passage in Matthew 12, talking about the demon leaving and bring back seven demons more powerful than itself. And I think that just speaks to the fact that um, we need to not only uh, like draw somebody out of the false religion that they're in, but we need to preach the gospel to them. Because just getting somebody 
uh, outside of some cultural in order to abandon their, their alcoholism or their drug addiction or whatever, that's not sufficient. That point when somebody's um, potentially about to become believers, or they're uh, getting closer to spiritual life, I think they're even more vulnerable and mm. more capable of having those seven more powerful things come back. Yeah, and um, that really emphasizes the point that we have to know what the gospel message is and be faithful to proclaim that. Um, I was just watching the other day this video of a, a young man who was going to preach the gospel in Nashville, I think it was, a city. And the way that he preached the gospel, he went uh, to the hood. He went someplace he shouldn't have gone. But he's basically saying, God can free you from your addictions. Mm. And that was it. Like, I was waiting for the whole like sin and grace and mercy and cross and resurrection and all that kind of stuff. Faith, you know. But no, it was like, God can free you of all that stuff. And then, so he went to another part of Nashville, and he was talking with some young woman who came up, and she was wearing a cross around her neck. And he said, oh, are you a Christian? She said, yeah. Uh, my ex-boyfriend was a Christian, and he kind of got me into it. And since, since I started uh, being a Christian, life's been so much easier. And that was it. And he just like pat her on the back, and off they went. Okay, that kind of stuff isn't going to help anybody with anything. Okay. So got to know what the gospel is and make that central, truly central. Pamela. I was just thinking, <clears throat> that's why it's really important that we keep reading and read the word of God. That Because I was, um, when I, uh, my first language was English, uh, Spanish. Mm. And I learned English going to school. Mm. And I was telling my sister the other day, I don't remember when, I, stopped, I used to think in Spanish. <laughs> and I don't think in Spanish anymore because where I was at, you know, we were the only Latin-speaking people and we go 50 miles huh. to church. So that's where we, uh, we kept up the Spanish in that. But, and that made me think of, that's why God wants us to put on the full armor of him and keep in his word because as we keep in his word daily and keep you know, reading, we, we start, he helps us keep thinking in his way so we're yes. able to see when the enemy, there's a, an invisible, um, well, it's his Holy Spirit, it's his word that is indwelling mm -hmm. in us so that he, that invisible, he's, he, he's able to help us see this isn't from me. And it's not because of us, it's because of what we're yeah. reading in his word. We're putting on the full armor so then we see when the enemy's coming, whether, and it helps us to also not want to uh, put ourselves in situations that will hurt the Holy Spirit or grieve him or um, not be acceptable to God. You know, just like in Psalms 19, with the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh God. Because as we keep in his word, we're not wanting to see things that, we know maybe this isn't because it's hurting us. It's we're we're thinking his his ways, and then what like when his word says, we take every thought captive unto Christ. Yes. And, 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 and his word shows us that we're born. This whole world, we're in a dirty place. Mm -hmm. We think our pride and arrogance. We think that we're good until we see the mirror of God's word that shows us who He is. And who we all really are. Yes. That, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, with, without the Word of God, we are um, truly sheep going astray, aren't we? Um, I have uh, <clears throat> on your sheet there about, you know, believers can be directly impacted by the devil and his demons. We'll pick up on this point next week, which will be our last session. But to Pamela's point there, um, all of the methods that demons would employ to affect us as believers would be to distract us from the Word of God and from prayer. That's what it's going to be, ultimately, every one of them. And we'll talk through some different ways they do that. But at, if you want, like, the root of what all that is, it's distracting us from what God has said, distracting us from God's words and giving us man's words or their words, whatever the case may be. And so we'll talk through some of those ways that we are easily distracted away from God's word, uh, ways that may be empowered by the supernatural realm. And then we'll finish up next week by talking about how we can be spiritually active as Christians. Just like, you know, we, we want to be alert. It's kind of like you want to be strong, you want to be healthy, you want to be fit. Well, you need to be active, right? You got to get active. And we'll talk through what that looks like and how we can build each other up and strengthen one another in those ways, okay? Logan. Just a real quick thought here. Yeah. talking about Yes, absolutely. Apathy is just as much a distraction from the word. Even even if you're, um, you know, someone who goes to church every Sunday and you know whatever, uh, you can still be apathetic in your heart and not truly care about what God has said, right? And you're special. Yeah, right. So very good. Well, let's uh, pray and then we'll be dismissed. God, we again thank you so much for our time together tonight, and thank you for equipping us through your word. Thank you for speaking to these issues and helping us work through it, that this fallen world we live in uh, with so many snares, so many traps set by our adversary. God, thank you for talking to these points so that we can apply them to our lives. We can study them, meditate on your word. Help us to do that and help us to hold one another accountable to these things and to edify one another, encourage one another even more as we see the day of your coming approaching that we would be alert. God, help us to do that. We cannot, in and of ourselves, be alert like we should. We rely on you and trust in you and ask you to open the eyes of our hearts, enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would uh, truly be spiritually active and alert in this life. Lord, keep us safe, we ask tonight, as we travel home and bring us back safely again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.